Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Science. I'm Dr. Misha Kogan, Associate Professor of Medicine at the GW School of Medicine and Health Sciences and Medical Director of the GW Center for Integrative Medicine. And I'm Janet Rodriguez, the Office's Administrative Director. Today, we're talking with Integrative Medicine Thought Leader, Lise Allschuler, N-D-F-A-B-N-O, who is a professor of clinical medicine at the University of Arizona, where she is the assistant director of the Fellowship in Integrative Medicine at the Andrew Wiles Center for Integrative Medicine. Dr. Alshuler co-authored the recent published article, Integrative Consideration During the COVID-19 Pandemic with Andrew Weil and other subject matter experts from the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, Dr. Alshuler. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you both. Um, Liz, more than 1,500 visits have been made to the center, center's COVID-19 webpage since its launch in March. It seems like the article came out overnight. Could you give us a look into how it was put together? Well, you know, at the uh, Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine here at the University of Arizona, we have a wonderful faculty a group of people who have obviously an interest and investment in integrative medicine and in making sure that people understand the potential for integrative medicine in various situations. And when the pandemic first began, we immediately recognized it as an opportunity to educate people about things that they could do to be more proactive in their health and well-being especially at a time when a lot of us were feeling very scared, still are, I think, in many parts of the country, uh, overwhelmed, confused. So we really saw it as an opportunity to jump in and provide some guidance. We also wanted to make sure that we um, took the opportunity to dive into the research to see what we know about this particular virus and various integrative strategies, the immune system and integrative strategies, to give our uh, current fellows and our alumni fellows some guidance in talking with their patients as well. So we just jumped together and organized the article, did, did a lot of research quickly, and um, we're fortunate to um, have it published in Explore. What does integrative medicine have to off- offer um, in reference to immune function in the face of this virus? So first of all, I have to just preface this by saying that we still don't have any prospective clinical studies on integrative therapies specifically related to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is the virus that causes COVID-19. So all of the information that I share and that some of your listeners may be hearing from other sources uh, is information that's either gathered from some retrospective studies, which are observational kind of trying to make associations between things or are um, gathered from studies on related or similar viruses. So it's important to understand that we don't have clinical trials, basically. Um, With that big caveat, I would say that this is certainly an opportunity for integrative therapies because this virus is Um, like many viruses, but especially with this virus, is very tightly linked with the process of inflammation. Inflammation is um, a a very big part of this virus. You know, when we encounter a virus, our immune system 
uh, mounts a response that's an inflammatory response. So it's very important to be able to activate inflammation to defend ourselves against infections, and that's true for this virus as well. But in the case of this particular viral infection, that inflammatory response can, through various or because of various factors, can go on to become unregulated and uncontrolled or excessive. And that excessive inflammation is what's generating all of these complications of this COVID-19 virus. So it becomes very important to think about things, both lifestyle strategies, as well as potentially some uh, nutritional and nutrient supplementation strategies that both support our antiviral defense, but at the same time, quiet or mitigate some of this excessive inflammatory response. And um, there, there are a lot of opportunities for doing just that through integrative strategies. So I think that's what makes me excited, actually, about the opportunity to utilize integrative medicine in the context of COVID-19. And I'm looking forward to, of course, clinical trials on it. But in the meantime, you know, when you think about things from a risk-benefit analysis, there's certainly some strategies that have essentially no risk and potential benefit that could be very impactful in this regard. Um, just as a quick example of that, something as simple as getting enough sleep is important. We highlight that actually as the first strategy in, in the article that we wrote, because we know that people who are sleep deprived are more prone to getting infections and have greater levels of, of kind of a baseline level of inflammation and are much more likely to get this uncontrolled inflammatory response uh, to viral infections. And so it's so sleep is something there's no harm whatsoever in getting adequate sleep. And yet the potential for that in supporting our defenses against this virus and the disease, COVID-19, is really important. So that's just one example, but I think an important one. Liz, um, you know, in the first couple of weeks of pandemic, I remember a lot of my patients were trying to buy some supplements, immune boosters, vitamin C, zinc, and nothing was even available. So there was this kind of a massive jump um, on unproven therapies. Uh, but, you know, and regardless sort of exactly whether the, 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 the evidence is um, in kind of your own words, is I think there is a merit for some of the supplements. I know you you guys have mentioned a number of them in the in your recommendations, but maybe you can give our listeners just a couple suggestions. Yes, so um, I do think that there is merit for some of these. Uh, one that's gaining a lot of attention recently is melatonin. So I started off talking about sleep. One of the things that happens when we're sleeping is we we produce melatonin. And the amount of melatonin that we produce during sleep is what we call a physiological amount. So it's a relatively small amount and it it has certain um, uh, functions in the body that one could kind of grossly characterize as supporting our sort of housekeeping. So it helps to support cell repair. It helps cells to regenerate their antioxidant capacities and kind of has an immune resetting function. So that all obviously becomes very critical if we're thinking about things like encountering a virus. We want to have all that in good shape. Now, if we take melatonin as a supplement, we're taking it Typically, even at a low dose of, say, a milligram, we're taking it at a higher dose than we would normally see 
physiologically. And when uh, we take melatonin at a higher dose, we kind of put the, the our, our foot on the pedal of the, the gas of all that housekeeping. Uh, so we sort of upregulate, if you will, a lot of those actions. So we push the body towards more defensiveness in essence. I'm, I'm kind of grossly overstating this or simplifying this, but, um, and in fact, there's been some retrospective studies that have shown that there is an association between people who take melatonin and have a lower risk of developing COVID-19. Um, I think this is something that I'm personally very interested in as a potential supplement to, of merit. And, you know, along those lines, there are many other um, compounds which we can take in supplemental form that uh, really do support the body's innate healing potential in the face of viral infections. There's a very large category of these which are called flavonoids. Now, we eat flavonoids, so this is also justification for eating a diet that's rich in plant foods. Flavonoids are pigmented compounds, so they give the colors to the fruits and vegetables that we eat, which is why we want to eat a rainbow of fruits and vegetables every day to get as many of these flavonoids as possible. There are thousands of them in plants. But the dietary supplement industry and researchers over the past many decades have isolated several of these flavonoids, things like quercetin, apigenin, uh, myrocetin, uh, curcumin, uh, baclean, things like that. And when we um, take them in as supplements, we find that we augment our anti-inflammatory defense. And many of these flavonoids also have antiviral properties. So they're, they kind of do exactly what we want in the face of a viral infection. Um, so again, I think that there is a tremendous pot potential for uh, flavonoids basically from the diet, but additionally, potentially as dietary supplements. We're very big into uh, people eating their colors. Yes. Very important. And, you know, I think, you know, speaking of eating your colors, we know now that people who have certain diseases uh, like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, uh, are more at risk for the disease COVID-19. And one of the common features that all of those conditions have is chronic inflammation. From an integrative medicine perspective, one of the most important strategies in, in uh, kind of helping people who have these diseases is, in fact, using anti-inflammatory bioflavonoids. Um, and there's been a lot of clinical research to show that when we use flavonoids, we can downregulate the inflammation of those conditions. So even though we don't have clinical science yet specific to COVID-19, we can uh, see that these, th these, the actions we're looking for are evident in the human body when we eat a colorful diet and potentially when we take some of these dietary flavonoids. What are your recommendations? Uh, my recommendations, generally speaking, for uh, prevention? Yes. So with regards to prevention, I think, you know, the fundamentals are very important. So adequate sleep, um, managing stress when we're, you know, we can't necessarily control the amount of stress we encounter, but we can try to mitigate its effect. And stress management is critically important because if we don't manage our stress, 
we elevate our stress hormones, things like cortisol, which are immunosuppressive. So we really hamper or handicap our immune system when we're under chronic stress. We also are more inflamed when we're under chronic stress. So exact things we don't want to see if we're trying to prevent getting sick from COVID when we're under stress. So stress management with a mindfulness practice, with daily breathing, with doing fun things on a regular basis, being connected with loved ones, that's really important. Um, I do think, of course, that eating a colorful diet is critical from a prevention standpoint. And then, you know, I am personally a fan of dietary supplementation. I have found it to be of tremendous benefit, both for myself personally and for my patients for many different conditions. And I think, you know, for people who are concerned about um, this virus, that it makes some sense to consider some immune support, whether it be through vitamin C, uh, zinc, which also has some specific antiviral properties, or a combination of some of these flavonoids that I mentioned earlier. Um, I think that that's all very helpful. I also think that, you know, things like medicinal mushroom extracts uh, have value in terms of supporting immunity and potentially uh, decreasing inflammation in the body. So, I mean, the, the good news is that there are literally dozens and dozens of options for dietary supplementation. So it's a, a vast, uh, you know, if you have a canvas you're painting for your immune support, you've got a lot of colors to choose from. And um, I think that the, that it's all helpful. It's not, nothing is a guarantee, but we're talking about trying to lower the risk of if we get the virus of having a severe disease or of getting the virus to begin with. And these are all things that people should take with them all the time. Right. And yeah, and I guess I'll just add a, just a couple more really quick ones, uh, just mm -hmm. because these have been in the literature as well. So I mentioned melatonin and, you know, we can get more melatonin with adequate sleep. I think that can also be considered as a supplement. Uh, and the other one I would mention is vitamin D. Um, there's a lot of interest internationally about vitamin D as a way to um, control the severity of the infection. Uh, so the, what we know so far from, again, these are observational studies, is that people who are deficient in vitamin D are more l at risk for having severe COVID-19 compared to people who have sufficient vitamin D. Now, whether that means that taking vitamin D beyond just to the, beyond the point of just being sufficient in it, but, you know, kind of building up our vitamin D, whether that has additional benefit is not known. And I would actually argue that m more is not necessarily better. But I do think that it's really important that people are at least sufficient in vitamin D. So this would be a good time to have your vitamin D tested. And if one is insufficient, to make sure that they're supplemented enough to get sufficient in vitamin D. Especially since most of us are walking around without enough vitamin D in our systems. Right. Really hard to be uh, have enough vitamin D. You know, we tend to think that in the summer we're going to be fine because we're outside more. But a lot of us are outside with a lot of clothes on or wearing sunblock. And so we really don't generate even uh, as much vitamin D from sun exposure as perhaps our ancestors did. So it's very difficult to get sufficient vitamin D. It's very widespread. You're absolutely right. So, uh, Liz, I want to touch on a little sensitive subject here. So, you know, you're, you're probably aware of multiple clinics uh, being raided and uh, 
uh, send cease and desist letter uh, of you know providers who we consider quality integrated medicine providers who were making claims that their protocols not just support the immune system, but can directly treat and help patients with COVID. I personally know one provider whose practice was basically shut down. Um, you know, it, 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 you know, I don't want to spur any conspiracy theories, and I don't think FDA is doing this from any ill intent. I think they're simply following the basics that there are no currently approved treatments, uh, with exception of remdesivir and maybe uh, dexamethasone low dose, which... Um, recently has been published positive trial. But, you know, uh, we're not really talking here addressing directly COVID. We're talking about strengthening immune system. And I guess the, the question to you is, I mean, we as a community, should we sort of um, get around this issue and push a little bit back and say, look, more um, attention has to be spent to a lifestyle and even some supplements that can and, and do assist immune system and decrease inflammation. Well, I think the way that you just stated that I am 100% on board with, I think that um, we not only have the prerogative to do that, but we have the evidence to back up many of our lifestyle-based therapies in terms of supporting immunity and reducing inflammation. And we know that those two actions are very critical uh, in preventing COVID-19. I think where we get into trouble is when we slide into making a claim for curing or um, being able to prevent, you know, in absolute terms, COVID-19, um, you know, because we can't make those claims. And I think that that is something that we need to be responsible about. So it's really about languaging and about setting appropriate expectations. You know, I think the, ch the problem when we step over that line is that it might, number one, defer appropriate and life-saving treatment. Uh, number two, unfortunately, there are opportunists in every profession, including in the very diverse world of integrative health. And there are some people who are simply going to see this as a money-making opportunity and um, charge a lot of money for services that really are of no value. So, you know, I think that there's uh, kind of a happy medium in this, which is to, to make responsible assertions and to give people appropriate levels of support, um, but not to overstep in our promises. Evidence-based is the right answer. I think that evidence-based is the right answer. And with, again, the caveat that we don't yet have clinical trials. So that actually gets into another whole thing, which is that we don't have clinical trials necessarily on on whether or not uh, taking melatonin is going to prevent COVID-19. We don't know how much melatonin. And so we need clinical trials. But the, the ability to get a clinical trial done with natural therapies, is a, it's, a, it's possible, but it's hard for lots of reasons, some of which are political, some of which are, uh, you know, just the, the, where the interest of the researchers and the experience of the researchers is. So... Uh, we do have, you know, kind of a big barrier in front of us, but just because it's hard doesn't mean we can say, well, then forget it. We don't need the research. We're not going to wait for the clinical trials. Let's just make claims anyway. We have to keep pushing as a community to get these trials done. And you just voiced exactly what I wanted to hear. I think we have responsibility, not just for our patients personally, but for the entire population to say, you know, there is a 
there are definitely pearls here and we have to research them and we have to get them out of the sand and, and, you know, show them, make them available. Yes, indeed. So is there anything we haven't asked you or anything else you want to um, comment on? Well, um, gosh, there's so much. You know, I think the the one thing that we know is that COVID-19, what we're learning about it is is continuing to expand at a really amazing rate. I mean, it's just really quite wonderful to see the global community so committed to trying to understand this particular illness and how to, to get ourselves through it. So I learn something new every day. Um, so I think there's a lot of optimism in that sense. Um, I also, you know, in here in Arizona right now, we're, we haven't even peaked yet. And, um, I saw a graph yesterday that per capita, we actually have the highest number of cases in the world right now, which is uh, not a good distinction to have, but, um, it is really important for us to maintain vigilance with our physical distancing measures. You know, it's for others as much as it is for ourselves. And I think that, you know, all the stuff that we're talking about is really important. And I wish that everybody in a nursing home was given a full plant, full diet and, you know, uh, given some, some breathing exercises every day and exercise so that they could build stronger immunity. I wish that was true. And in the meantime, we also have to be very mindful about physical distancing requirements. I just want to give that a little voice out, I think, just because of the context of Arizona at the moment. We understand. And people wear your masks. Just wear your mask. Right. <laughs> well, that is all the time we have for today. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Misha Kogan. And I'm Janet Rodriguez. Be well. well.